I did not know one of your choruses tonight. Isn't that true? Did you make them up yourselves? Or? <laughs> See, they were good, though. I really enjoy them. Good, good songs, good music. Well, let's... Um, anybody who wasn't here this morning, you were not here. All right, a number of backsliders with us tonight. <laughs> we'll get them tonight. I introduced my subject this morning uh, called uh, Transcendent Peace. That's the peace of God that he gives us that transcends human peace. It's not just something you have a calm spot. It's God's supernatural transcend, uh, transcending peace and it's uh, imparted to us. And we've taken from our scripture, and if you like, if you've got your Bible, we're going to read the five steps that Paul gives us to get this transcending peace. In Philippians chapter 4, and I'm reading from verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, we got a bit slow this morning because we only got those two points. But the third one is, the Lord is near. And the fourth one is, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, get this, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends. That's, that's where I've got my text from. It transcends. If you've got a King James, it says, and the peace of God passes all understanding. And uh, it will guard your heart and your minds in Christ. So I just pray, Father, tonight that you will assist me in communicating your truth. Holy Spirit, take this written word and by the spoken word, make it a living word in the hearts of your people that it may bring forth fruit for your kingdom. I pray that in Jesus' lovely name. I'd like to just uh, very quickly, and it will be very, very quickly for those that weren't here to sort of give you some idea where we came from this morning so it doesn't sound just out of context. We talked about the significance that um, we recognise that there is a chosen disposition to rejoice. Paul says there, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. How many of you know that's not always easy when you're going through tough times, to rejoice? And we stressed, we stressed that he's not saying if you feel like it or if the circumstances are good, he's just simply saying, make it a dispositional response to rejoice. Wouldn't it be fantastic when things go wrong? You go, well, Lord, I don't know what's happening, but I'm rejoicing because I know you're still the Lord. Wouldn't that be a good response? And we need to recognise that there is a choice of renewed cognitive thought process. Remember we talked about be renewed in the thinking area. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I've put it in these words here, that we make a choice to renew the cognitive thought press process to do as God tells us to do. So instead of going back to the old habits when things go bad and we get grumpy and cross on God and we want to walk away from God, we bring our thoughts into line with the word of God. And that's so important we realise that it's a thought process we have to be in charge of. Secondly, we said the choice that Christ's providential lordship is over my life. Did you get that? You and I are not victims of fate. 
We are under the lordship of Christ. Everything in our life, God has got a plan for. And some of the things you think, what is in the world is he doing? That's called the providential hand. His hand is upon us and we choose to acknowledge his lordship. And we choose to rejoice in that lordship. And thirdly, I will choose to rejoice. You see, you just started off with that. Yeah, and I'll finish off with that. You've got to choose. You make a choice to rejoice. Secondly, we talked about uh, displaying a disposition of gentleness. Let your, dis- let your gentleness be seen by all. And I explained to you, I hope, from the scripture, that it's a disinclination to be angry or fight. How many of you reckon one of the ways to lose your peace is to be a fighting person, angry person, always finding something to argue about? And this is really saying to you, let your disposition be one that is a disinclination to fight. And we mentioned Moses. And if you know, Moses never got into the promised land because he smote the rock in anger instead of speaking to the rock as God had commanded him to do. And then we said also, not allowing others to determine our response. In other words, keeping your cool when you're on the road. How many of you reckon road rage is a major problem? You know, and it can upset you if little cars dash in front of you and do whatever they shouldn't do. You can get very upset. And I said this to you. For every 60 seconds you get angry, that's one minute of peace that you haven't got. So how many of you reckon it's, it's not worth it, is it? It's not worth getting angry to lose the peace of God. And so we finished off there. Okay, now we're coming to the third point tonight. <clears throat> in verse 5, the Lord is near. Now, the NIV in the translation I read from is unclear what Paul is exactly referring to. For example, he could be talking about the presence of the Lord is near. He could be encouraging us to realise that the presence of God, if we have the presence of God with us, it is a tranquilizing effect. However, the majority of commentators say that Paul here is not just talking about the presence of God is with us, but he's actually talking about the imminent return of Christ. And uh, if you have a New Living Translation, it says this, Remember the Lord is coming soon. So I think Paul may be suggesting Christ is about to return. How many of you know in the New Testament that's a common thing? They have an expectation that Christ is coming back. And uh, I just for a few seconds want to tell you, that it's a wonderful thing to have an anticipation of Christ's immediate return. Now, we know that, we know that we've been saying it for 2,000 years, and after a while you go, yeah, well, I've heard that before. And, and how many of you have heard sermons that Jesus is coming in 1977 or 1994? We had a number of blokes putting dates and times. Now, when you hear it a number of times, how many of you know, oh, yeah, 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 it's right, cry wolf, wolf, wolf. My wife and I grew up in a traditional Pentecostal church, and I tell you, we used to get the second coming of the Lord every second week, didn't we, love? And you'd hear it all the time, the Lord is coming soon. Now, the negative of that is you can become familiar with it, and it loses its impact. The positive of that, that if you have a lifestyle that's anticipating Christ's coming, how many of you know it changes your life? It changes your value systems. It challenges particularly your vision of what the future is going to be. And I'd like to suggest to you that's so important 
that we become people that have an anticipation of Christ coming, but we don't set dates on it. And we don't try and tell people, oh, you better get ready with God. How many reckon you'd live a different life if I was to say to you, at the end of this month, Jesus is coming back? How many of you reckon your life had changed? Some of you would be nice. You'd be spiritual. You'd be at every prayer meeting. You'd be at the three o'clock one. By the way, represent me at that one because I probably won't be there. But how many of you reckon it's a good thing to recognise that when you have a shortness of time in mind, have you talked to people who've had a terminal illness and a diagnosis of you know, months to live or a year to live, how it changes their whole value system? And I don't want to scare you, but I want to say what a great thought it is that we live with a sense of Christ coming back. So if you're a bit confused about what I'm saying, join the club, everybody is, but here's a good plan. Here's a good plan. Plan like Jesus is never coming back. In other words, you young ladies along here, you're looking for a husband, go ahead. If you can find one, I can't see too many around, but go ahead. All you young couples that want to have kids, have a dozen. Those of you who are doing education, finishing degree. Now, you're laughing at me, but how many of you know when people get carried away in the extreme of this, they don't want to get married, they leave Bible college, can't have time, haven't got time. How many of you know that's not the way to live? So plan like Jesus is not coming back, but live like he's coming back tomorrow. That is your priorities, and what you're living for is the kingdom of God and Jesus coming back again. There was a movie called The Bucket List. Did any of you see that? Yeah. Godless people? <laughs> Jack Nicholson and Freeman Morgan. Morgan Freeman, maybe, but that's the other bloke. Um, they were both diagnosed with terminal diseases, and they were both in the same room in the hospital. Uh, rather an aggro bunch of guys, but nevertheless, one of them, Jack Nicholson, was a multimillionaire. And uh, Morgan Freeman had written down a list of things he'd love to do before he kicks the bucket. That's why it was called the bucket list. And a number of those things he uh, looked at and he thought, this will never happen, threw it into the rubbish bin and Jack Nicholson happened to get hold of it. Anyway, long, long story, very short. Jack shouted Morgan Freeman around the world. They did everything that they ever wanted to do, the places, Switzerland, French Riviera, everything they wanted to do, they did together. The great thing about that story, I reckon, is at the end, Jack Nicholson, who's been struggling with a relationship with his daughter, and Morgan Freeman's on to him. You know, it doesn't matter how much money you've got and how much fame you may have had, there's nothing like the love of your child. And it finishes up, Jack Nicholson goes and restores the relationship with his daughter. Fantastic thought that the most important things are relationships. Things come and go. But how many of you know friendships, relationships, families? They are unbelievably valuable to us. And that story says to me, whatever your bucket list is, if you've, got, if you've got family that are away from God or you've got enemies that are your family, it might be a good thing if you start praying and asking God to cool you down, open your heart to his love so that he can restore a relationship together. So it's very important that we get this balance between planning like Jesus isn't coming, but living like he's not. Point four, we're nearly home, guys. <laughs> Point four, do not be anxious about anything. 
I, I just find that a very difficult scripture to handle. Do not be anxious about anything. In the classic Greek, the word means to be anxious, to care for, concerned about, or to worry. And one of my records my wife probably gets sick of saying is I say, look, don't worry about that, love. How many of you know telling your wife not to worry about something doesn't work? I don't know whether every wife's like mine, but she just loves worrying. She looks for things to worry about. (laughs) Well, if she hasn't got something to worry about, she worries about not having something to worry about. So I help her. I give her things to worry about. I'm picking on a bit, I'll be belted when I get home tonight, so I'll make this quickly. But I tell you this, I tell you that, that there are some people, their inclination is to worry, and their life's run by that. And how many of you know it can be a very unhealthy thing if your life is constantly burdened down by worries? 85% of the things you worry about don't come to pass. Yeah, come on. I mean, that doesn't help you, but you know it's true. There's things you're worried about. They come and they go, time comes and goes, and it's no longer a big issue. So we need to recognise that worry does does you no good at all. Film star Cameron Diaz said this, what we women need to do, instead of worrying about what we don't have, just love what we do have. (laughs) Guys, do you want to take that quote? Guys, take it, write it down, and give it to your wife in a card with a bunch of flowers. That would mean, Val, you don't need to buy any more shoes. (laughs) No more handbags. After all, 6,000 pair of shoes is enough, isn't it? (laughs) She does love shoes. But have you got what I'm trying to say to you? It's a film star making a comment where... We want more and we want more, but how many of you know, why don't we just enjoy what we have? Come on. Anyway, we'll move on quickly because (laughs) it's going to be a cold, cold night tonight. (laughs) It's interesting how the scripture uses the worry. Six times, six times in Matthew, five times in the book of Luke. Matthew 6.25, don't worry about your life, your food, your drink, your clothing. But put the kingdom of God first and everything else will be taken care of. Now, it just sounds so simplistic. It's too simplistic. Don't worry about anything. God's going to look after you. There's a scripture for those of you who are reaching senior age, which I can't wait to get up there, and it goes like this. Once I was young and now I am old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed out begging for bread. How many of you reckon that's a beautiful thing to think about? Because as you get a little older, I'm told, as you get older in life, anxieties do uh, increase. And so I'm encouraging with the scripture. Jesus taught to us, taught us that in Mark chapter 4, verse 18, that was a soul went forth to see, to sow seed. And the man who uh, represents heard the word of God, and it says, and the seed fell amongst thorns. And the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of riches choked out the word of God. How many of you reckon that's a worry, isn't it? The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of riches choked out the word of God. Materialism and consumerism are a cruel master 
Now, we love, my wife and I, you know, I mean, with her, I love taking her out shopping. I love seeing her enjoying herself. How many of you know, that's what consumerism is. You just buy things. But it's telling us you've got to be careful that this thing doesn't get a grip of you where it controls your life to such a point you get into so much debt you can't do what you want to do. So live within your means. Somebody said, we try and keep up with the Joneses. Well, you might not be getting the same salary as the Joneses. So why don't you cut the cloth to suit? Keep it simple. Don't try and keep up with everybody else. Live within your means. God's blessing and prosperity, we believe in. We're not into poverty. We're not into God putting us down. We believe that it's all got to be in line with the word of God. Jesus taught, don't worry. Jesus said to Mary, how many of you love the story of Martha and Mary? Poor old Martha, she's always panicking because she can't get Mary out of the feet of Jesus. Like, you know, Jesus, she says, paraphrase, would you please get her to get up and help me in the kitchen? Remember that? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, Mary has chosen the better part. Here's a little thought for you. Some of you who are highly motivated in the church run around, tearing around like, you know, with their head cut off. All you ever do is work, 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 work. Would you hear this? Please, would you take a seat before you serve? Sit at the feet of Jesus so that what you're doing comes from your love of him. How many of you are getting what I'm saying? So it's very important that we get those principles right. Paul addresses these areas in many areas in the scripture, but he starts a very simple thing and a profound solution to your anxieties. Get this one. Prayer and petition. But in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request. When we pray, God knows everything, so why should we pray? How many of you have thought that? No need for me to pray. God knows I've got problems. Well, I'd like to suggest to you there's a very important reason why you should pray because God told us to pray. How many of you reckon that's as good a reason as you'll ever come up with? So why should I pray? Well, simply because when you do what God tells you, God responds. And would you please write this down on the neck of somebody in front of you? The Scripture says, you have not... Because you ask not. So if you have this incredible theology that goes, well, God knows all my problems. I don't know why I should pray about them. Please get this. First of all, he said it's good to pray, and he'll answer your prayers if you pray them. And secondly, there might be a number of things in your life you do not have because you have not prayed. R.A. Torrey is a brilliant man of God. He said this, and I quote, Prayer is God's appointed way of obtaining things And the great secret of all the lack in our experience, in our lives, in our work, is neglected by prayer. He's basically saying if you've got neglects, one of the major reasons is is that you haven't prayed about it. How many of you are looking for a new job? How many of you are trying to find a husband or a wife? Come on. You're not, I'm sure. (laughs) Such a happy response for me. That's a bit of a worry. Well, just try that again. <laughs> and if you know there's things you want, but you don't say anything, you don't pray because you say, well, God knows anything. Would you hear what I'm saying to you tonight? You may not have the needs that you've been looking for because you simply do not 
pray for those needs. My wife's a great little prayer. Our son was looking for a job. He was in a job, but he wanted a better one. This lady went into prayer and fasting. I'll pray with her, but she can fast. That's, <laughs> that's her talent. And remarkably, the Lord supplied my son with a job because somebody asked. Say, well, God knows and God looks up. No, no, no. You have not because you ask not. Now, how many of you know you've got to be careful that it doesn't become a consumer thing, give me everything I want? But there's many needs in this meeting here, and I'm not saying this by a word of knowledge, I'm just knowing there's a lot of people. There's a lot of needs in your life that if you started to pray and ask God about those needs, you might be remarkably surprised how God will undertake. I just sold a car. And, you know, it's one of those things, I put it in the courier mail, which they tell me it's the most useless way to sell a car. But I put it in there with a little ad, and I just went like this, James. I just went, dear Jesus, please help me sell this car. And a week went by, not even a, not even a phone call. And then about four days after the week, a lady rang me up from the coast. She said, oh, I like your car. <laughs> She said, it looks wonderful. It's this big, the photos, this big. She said, it looks so clean. And I said it was a clean vehicle. She said, um, I'm just getting recompense for my car. I wiped it off. And as soon as I get the money, I'm going to buy your car. How many of you know you go, oh, yippee. Prayer's been answered. And she rings me back two days later. She says, oh, I never got the money that I thought I was going to get. So I said, Yvonne, don't worry. That's fine. We're still good friends. And she rings me back in a few days. She said, I've scraped up this amount of money, which wasn't quite as much as I wanted. But she said, I've scraped this amount of money and I want to buy your car. I said, well, it's here if you want to come. She came up, cash in hand, gave me the cash, signed the papers, and I said, are you going to drive it? Are you Are going to take it down the road? Are you going to get a mechanic to look at it? She said, no, I trust you. <laughs> How many of you know, it's either God or something's wrong in this there. But I'm simply saying to you, this was like, I've never heard of people just selling cars like that and people coming with cash and banging off it went. How many of you reckon things could happen in our lives if we have this simple thing, oh dear God, you know I need to sell this car, would you please help me? There's people here tonight, you've got things that are bugging you, things that you need. Would you please pray a simple prayer, dear God, I believe that you can do great things. Please help me. Come on. Isn't that good? Is it seven o'clock? Probably. Yes, it is. We finish at seven, don't we? Oh, okay. It's just that it's got 7.03 a.m. And I've, I'm, I'm just wondering how long I've been going for. Like, you know how to hurry a bloke along, mate. That's so cunning, I'm telling you. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all thanks of prayers and requests, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the saints. Clearly, prayer is for more than just our personal needs. Let me just mention this first, this uh, Ephesians chapter 6. We are Pentecostals. 
we believe in praying in the Holy Spirit. How many of you have discovered when you pray in tongues, you don't necessarily know what you're praying about? And because people don't know what they're praying about, often they think, what a waste of time. Would you hear this very, very learned old man? Well, listen to this old man anyway. When you pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit is praying through you. The Holy Spirit is interceding through you. The Holy Spirit is speaking mysteries in the Spirit. How many of you know your mind might be acquiescent, but your spirit comes alive? And when you start to pray like that, can you hear what I'm saying? There is a dynamic of the Holy Spirit happening in prayer that can change things that you don't even know what needs to be changed. But he, the Holy Spirit, knows how to pray through you. Oh, hip hip. Oh, I love telling you that. It's so true. There is a difference, and the scripture talks here about petitions and supplications, big words. A, a, a prayer, when you pray, a supplication, oh dear God, would you do this? That's one thing. A supplication, one commentator said, it's like a prisoner requesting freedom. There is a desperation. I don't know what the, the prayer's all about for your city. But how many of you reckon we're in the middle of coming up to an election? And can I say to you people, would you please get earnest about praying for our nation? This is a serious deal. And we want godly, righteous people to run our nation. And if there's one group of people that ought to be standing up concerned about the election, I'm not caring, I'm not telling you what party to vote for, but how many of you know we want to pray God's will will be done for our nation. Australia belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and they that dwell therein. And we're a part of the people that dwell in God's earth. And we have every right and every responsibility to start praying, oh God, your will be done. And remember what I said, we don't sit back and say, God, what's going to happen? God will do it. He changes things when we pray. I'm going as fast as I can possibly go, mate. Don't keep telling me to come on. It's a lovely pastor, but <laughs> I tell you, when I, the first time I went to America, this is true, Val, I'll tell you, I'm preaching away and this bloke, he's sitting down there and he's going, come on, come on. It was annoying me so much. Oh, come on. I'm getting loud. I said, fair crack of the whip, mate. I'm going flat out now. <laughs> he wouldn't know whether I was swearing at him or not. Well, keep going, mate. Coming on. That's encouraging. Why don't some of you try that? Come on. Come on. (laughs) Come on. Get it over and done with. That's what we're saying here. We had a son that um, grew up in the church, and at a certain age in his life, he left the Lord. And how many of you know sometimes pastors' kids, when they go bad, they go really bad. And uh, they're the sort of things that you, if you're encountering something like that, let me tell you, prayer works. Don't ever give up on your children, no matter where they are now. And please hear this. 
their performance, their behaviour does not negate, negate the purposes of God in their life. Did you hear that? They might be doing the very opposite to what you have brought them up to do, but don't lose faith. There's a thing called faith that you go, when we dedicated this kid, we used to prophesy over kids at dedication, and our pastor said, all your sons shall be taught of the Lord. And how many of you know we believe that with all of our heart? And when the kid's going away from the Lord, you keep praying. And some of you would have kids that are not going on with God. Don't quit on praying. Don't keep saying, oh, well, he's going his own way. That's his choice, blah, blah, blah. Would you please pray like this? Lord, this is one of my kids and I want him in the kingdom and your word tells us it's a lamb for a household and I'm believing for all of my descendants under my cover to come under the blood of Christ. What do you reckon? Thanks, Mum, for clapping. That's very nice. <laughs> oh, he's in the ministry now. What a good answer, Val. Yeah, that's important to the prayer, isn't it? What would I do without that lady? I don't know. So choosing an attitude of thanksgiving. Have I done enough on prayer and petition? And that, that, that thing of desperation. I reckon, I mean, there's times I've cried under God. Haven't you? You've cried under yeah, God. Yeah. And I tell you, God's ears open. God takes those tears and the Bible tells us he bottles those tears up. So don't ever think that it's wasted when you cry, when you're weeping over your family or what's happened in your life and you've lost your business, you've lost your health. Don't quit. Keep on praying. Then he says, choosing an attitude of thanksgiving. Pray and prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Alan Cohen says, appreciation is the highest form of prayer, for it acknowledges the presence of good wherever you shine the light of your thankful thoughts. Yeah. Just, just get what I'm saying here. Thankful thanksgiving is faith expressed before the answer arrives. Thankfulness is the highest form of faith. Because it gives God the glory in the vacuum of evidence. How many of you reckon that is a powerful thing? That before it happens, you give glory to God because you know that God is going to do it. Listen to this. Romans chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. How many of you reckon thanksgiving is not a gimmicky little emotional outlet for your life? Thanksgiving is saying, I believe that my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly. I believe that my God will do what he's promised to do. I believe with all of my heart he has the power to do what he said he would do. And I'm not wavering in unbelief. You know what that means, don't you? It means you go, yeah, well, I'm not sure. It means not fully persuaded. Isn't that a tremendous word? That Abraham was fully persuaded. We need Christians that are fully persuaded about God's power to do things. Intervene in your life. Bring about a marriage restoration. Bring about home then. Bring about your business restoration. Bring about health restoration. How many of you know? Fully persuaded. Come on. 
that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly. I'm going to say it again. Fully persuaded that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly. He's not a mean God. He's not run out of energy. He hasn't been around so long he's tired. He's full of life and energy and power and authority. And you and I need to lock in there with thanksgiving. If you keep clapping, I'll go forever. You know that. And at 7.20 a.m. is really something else to worry about. Oh, gee, that's so deep I can't even express it. It says, And the peace of God, which passes, transcends understanding, will guard your heart and mind. Did you ever notice this scripture before? The word transcends means surpass and is superior and excels. This power that we're talking about of God coming into us in peace is a fantastic thing in our lives. I'm sorry I've had to rush this last bit because we could string this out forever. But have you got the message that I'm saying? You've got to become a person that starts to rejoice when you don't feel like rejoicing. You've got to be someone... How many of you know rejoicing as an expression? You can't rejoice like this. How many of you know rejoicing, you've got to have an expression? Do you know the power of life and death is in the tongue? And I know we often think that that's a a blab it and grab it theory. No, it's the word of God. Father, I'm standing on your word and your promise that you have given me. And I'm rejoicing that your word never changes. And I'm rejoicing because although I can't see it, I know that you are super abundantly able to do. Even what I can't think or ask, you are able to do above that. And I am committed, oh God, I am committed to be the person that puts my faith on the line. You have a chosen disposition of rejoicing. You're going to be a person that has gentleness because you're not going to let anger take away your peace. You're going to be people that praise the Lord and you're going to live like an eternal being, not a temporary person. Your life has an eternal value. God has put eternity in the hearts of every man and woman in this room and you're living for that. You're not just living for the temporal. And you're going to realize that the Lord is indeed near and you're going to live your life like that. And you're going to let anxieties and stress become, listen, a victim of your prayers and petitions. You're refusing to let them dominate you and you're going to take them in prayer and you're going to press into God and you're going to have an attitude of gratitude and you're going to thank God and he's promised to guard your heart. I tell you what I love about that. I love the fact that this, what I'm saying to you, is a wonderful provision of armour for us. Because if you guard your heart, your emotions, your response, your anger, your bitterness, your lust, your unforgiveness, our unwise decisions, the umpire blows the whistle. He will guard your heart. One of the words that we could use for that word guard is the word of intervention. How many of you know the voice of the Holy Spirit is like an umpire blowing a whistle? It goes like this. Don't do it. I was a younger man one day. I can't remember how long ago it was that I was younger. I'd been preaching over in America and uh, been away for a few weeks and uh, 
was going into this shop to get my wife and the kids something to buy, nice little gifts like Mercedes-Benz and cars and things like that. And I'm walking down this aisle like this and I come to the end of the aisle and there's a... a thanks, love. A Playboy magazine. And uh, I looked at that Playboy magazine and I thought, I'd like to look what's inside of that so I can help men when they have problems reading the Playboy. Now, I know you're nothing like me. You are just pure and you would have snapped and walked away. Well, I did walk away. And then I came around that aisle and I found myself going down that aisle again. And this conniving, cunning little mind goes, what I'll do is I'll get my ministry folder out, big folder. I'll get that magazine, I'll slip it in there, and if anybody comes that knows me, I'll just close the, the preacher's folder and they'll think, what a godly man he is. Does anybody think like that? No, you weren't, of course. But I'm standing there, and this is the gospel truth. The thing that I had in mind is nobody could see me. And then I heard this whistle. I can see you. How many of you reckon God's a spoil sport? (laughs) You're all laughing, but you know it's the truth. The umpire blows the whistle. That's why he guards our minds. He guards our hearts about bitterness. He whistles at us. Don't. I was driving along the other day. This is wonderful. I was driving along the other day and a couple had caused me great pain. And uh, I've preached a lot on forgiveness, but I'm driving along and I'm going, you've got to forgive them. And you know what I did? I said, Lord, and I named them. Bless her. Bless him. And I felt so good blessing them because I haven't had too many inclinations of blessing towards them but he will guide our hearts he will guide our minds he will bring us in line with the holy spirit and the mind of god how many of you know peace see this isn't just a word this is a reality of your life the peace of god that surpasses human understanding will flood your heart and mind You have been a wonderful group of people to talk to. I have so enjoyed. Your pastor and his wife have looked after me so well. I don't want to tell them last night we ate three ton of prawns. (laughs) Well, I had a bowl. (laughs) He's a vacuum cleaner when it comes to prawns, mate. They just disappeared. I couldn't... He doesn't even shell them. (laughs) I love this man. He's he's such a godly man and I shouldn't pick on him. Yeah, I should. It does him good. And I do love coming here because um, there's a wonderful spirit in this house. There's wonderful worship in this house. And thank you for looking after me so well. But You know, I'm not here just to be looked after. I'm here to tell you, I think this is a word the Lord wanted me to share. That he wants us to be a people that start rejoicing when we would normally be downtrodden. That we start becoming people, take control over those who want to control our moods and our responses and our angers. 
that we want to be people that realise that we're living because Jesus is coming back soon. Would you, would you think like that? Start living for the eternity. And would you love this one? What was the fourth point? James? No, prayer and petition, mate. You should be listening. <laughs> we don't just talk about praying. We actually believe God answers prayer. Yes. Remember, you have not because you ask not. Yes. And then thanksgiving. Took a while to get there, but we got there. So let's pray. 7.20 a.m. It's a bright church, this one, mate, I'm telling you. For the wonderful privilege of talking to your people, I give you thanks, Father God. For the wonderful opportunity of sharing your word and the truth in your word and the igniting power of your word that will be lodged in the hearts of these young people, middle-aged people and the senior people here that will bring you glory. We want to be men and women that live above, above the issues of life. We want to be people that live in a realm of victory. We know that we have temptations. We know that we have trials. We know that things come across our path that are seemingly out to get us, but this night we are determined to be people that live in transcending peace, a peace of God that passes our understanding, that is able to keep our emotions, our thoughts, our lives, and the desires of our heart, they're able to keep them totally in control under the Holy Spirit's governance of our life. I'm praying, first of all, Father, for Pastor James and Michelle and the ministry team. May your hand continue to be upon them. May this church continue to prosper. I pray that there will be a great surge of new people coming into this church. I pray, oh God, that there'll be people that have not known you coming in and knowing Christ. I'm praying that there will be ministries in this church of healing and deliverance and people being set free. I am praying over this house, O Lord, that there would be an anointing of your spirit that is like a great light shining forth over this hair area here. And I'm praying, O oh God, that you will start to raise up these young people with fire in their bones. I pray, O oh God, that they'll have a burden to see you do a great thing in this city. For all of the kids here that are, that are drugs and alcohol and, and crazed by the world, may there be a bunch of young people in this church that rise up with a torch in their hand, bringing light to the darkness, bringing life where there's death, bringing hope to the hopeless, I pray, oh God, this will be indeed not a church just on the corner, but it'll be a church to the city, influencing and impacting the business people. Lord, we pray for those that have got money to come into the kingdom. You love the rich as well as the poor. And we know, God, they go to hell like anybody else. And we're praying we will impact, this church will impact people in the business world. We pray that there'll be people of influence that will come into this house and find the kingdom of God a necessary fulfillment of what their life has been looking for. I pray, oh God, that you'll continue, continue to do the good work in the name of Jesus. Amen. We prayed for a number of people this morning. And should there be anybody that would like prayer, pastor's going to close the meeting. I'll hang around the front for a while. 
we, he and I and others, if you would like prayer, we'd love to pray for you. How many of you know fears and anxieties are real? They're real. And maybe some of you just need a prayer to break that power over your life. Thank you, Pastor.